Chapter one, take two, two. Nice. Those days were like a crystallization of all that had been good in the trip. It was as close to perfection as I could ever hope to come. I reviewed what I had learnt. I had discovered capabilities and strengths that I would not have imagined possible in those distant, dreamlike days before the trip. I had rediscovered people in my past and had come to terms with my feelings towards them. I had learnt what love was. That love wanted the best possible for those you cared for, even if that excluded yourself. That before, I had wanted to possess people without loving them, and now I could love them and wish them the best without needing them. I had understood freedom and security, the need to rattle the foundations of habit, that to be free one needs constant and unrelenting vigilance over one's weaknesses, a vigilance which requires a moral energy most of us are incapable of manufacturing. We relax back into the molds of habit. They are secure. They bind us and keep us contained at the expense of freedom. To break the molds, to be heedless of the seductions of security, is an impossible struggle, but one of the few that count. To be free is to learn, to test yourself constantly, to gamble. It is not safe. I had learnt to use my fears as stepping stones rather than stumbling blocks, and best of all, I had learnt to laugh. I felt invincible, untouchable. I had extended myself and I believed I could now sit back. There was nothing else the desert could teach me. And I wanted to remember all this. Wanted to remember this place and what it meant to me and how I had arrived there. Wanted to fix it so firmly in my head that I would never, ever forget. In the past, my bouts of gloom and despair had led like Widdershins to the same place. And it seemed that at that place was a signpost saying, Here it is. Here is the thing you must push through, leap free of, before you can learn any more. It was as if the self brought me constantly to this place, took every opportunity to show it to me. It was as if there was a button there which I could push if only I had the courage, if I could only just remember. Ah, but we always forget, or are too lazy, or too frightened, or too certain we have all the time in the world and so back up the ravines to the comfortable places, the sane ones, where we don't have to think too much, where life is, after all, just getting by, and where we survive half asleep. And I thought I had done it. I believed I had generated a magic for myself that had nothing to do with coincidence, believed I was part of a strange and powerful sequence of events called fate, and I was beyond the need for anything or anyone. And that night, I received the most profound and cruel lesson of all. That death is sudden and final and comes from nowhere. It had waited for my moment of supreme complacency and then it had struck. Late that night, Diggity took a poison bait. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Chapter 1, Take 2, the podcast where we read the book, watch the film, and then discuss the adaptation. My name is Maddie. I'm Brianna. And from that wonderful reading that Brianna just did, you may have guessed this week we are covering tracks. Dear Sir, I am planning to walk across the Australian desert from Alice Springs to the Indian Ocean a distance of 2,000 miles. When people ask me why I'm doing it, my usual answer is why not. By Robin Davidson. Uh, 
Originally, the journey happened in 1977. Uh, Robin wrote the memoir in 1980, and it was later adapted into the film in 2013 by John Curran. Yep, this is uh, our, our third true story, uh, including Molly Bloom and Cheryl Strayed. Yes, and Cheryl Strayed actually um, read, this, read this, book. this book. Yes, can I have it? Yeah. Thank you. That's weird. And, yeah, that uh, was weird because you couldn't see it, but I was like doing that thing where I, you were I teasing. I, I, I like teased Maddie with the book. I let her think she was going to get it, and I pulled away. No one likes second. people who do who do that. Just so you know. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Cheryl Strayed read tracks and um, wrote that it was unforgettably powerful, which I absolutely agree with. I mm. think Wild is a very different type. Of journey that um, Cheryl Strayed goes on compared to Robin Davidson, they they have interesting similarities, but I think really stark differences as well. Agreed. Yeah. Why did you choose to read that section, Brian? Oh, Robin Davidson is an incredibly powerful writer. Um, Tracks is a different kind of book to get through because. Um, it isn't the type of story that we are taught about in, and reading memoirs is always a bit like this, but it isn't the kind of story we're taught about in school where there's like a clear premise, some rising action, a climax, and no, a falling action. It's not a narrative. It's, yeah. Yeah. So. so it can be, it can be difficult um, to, to get through because there isn't that sort of linear story structure. Yeah. Where, no, I, def- where I definitely to. noticed that structure was missing. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's that, I mean, uh, you found that in reading uh, Dante Bosco's memoir as well. Like it's just, um, that's kind of one of the elements of a memoir is that they're often not as linear. Yeah, that's right. From um, Rufio to Zuko. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that because I'm, I'm a big last year Bender fan have been since I was 12. Yes, you are. You are a big fan. No, that's and all that I said. That's all that I said. An original that's, fan. I'm just saying. So I liked it before Netflix. It's, it's all right. Keep going. Um, and uh, and I just, I, I really like that section. I like how much of it sums up sort of the trip in that um, she went on the trip knowing that she was going to be changed, but not like for the reason to be changed. She didn't have a reason. She just wanted to do something that wasn't what she was currently doing. That was yes. really different. And she wanted to be alone. She wanted to be alone in the desert, and I think that's great. And um, in in that section, she's like searching for the meaning of her trip and what she's learned. And she feels like she's she's done it. She's completed something. She understands. She's got this um, retrospective wisdom. And then and then and then Diggity dies. Yeah, it, that part. Like if there's a climax in the story. Diggity dies. Diggity dies. Yeah, it, it completely changes her perspective. Sorry. Yes, for all of our episodes, for now and forever. Spoilers. If you're listening to the podcast, spoilers. Oh, we did it. Um, just, like I forgot. We um, we're gonna do like maybe introduce this new segment um called like pre-show thoughts. Yep. Oh, pre-show um, thoughts. Yes. So before we watch the film, what yes. were your hopes or expectations, or what did you think? Yeah. I, um, before we watched the film, um, after reading the novel, I was prepared to be disappointed. Um, a lot of the time novels portray emotional journeys or struggles that just can't be captured in film. I'm not sure if it's because the director hasn't experienced the journey the same way that the writer has or what. 
Um, but I expect it to be disappointed in the sense that, you know, the film is never the book, but I knew that the film may not capture the heart of the journey. And I think Robin Davidson, because we watched um, a few interviews with her about the film, she talks about how you can't be too precious when someone buys the rights and is adapting your book into a film because it's no longer your story. Like they take it and they change it and you just have to accept that you no longer have control over how it's interpreted. Mm. And I really like that because I, I think I resonate quite a lot with Robin um, in many ways and I, I do like to have too much control over things and I thought that was really good I mean I, the film was fine I definitely preferred the book it, I guess what the film was what I expected it to be okay I, yeah I felt quite neutral about it what, what about you um, I just wrote some things down I wrote the movie poster makes it look like it will be a love story yuck and it does. The movie poster shows, like, yeah. Adam Driver and Mia Wysokowski just, like, staring into each other's eyes in the desert, like... Leave Ugh. everything behind! Um, so what... This is, like, Robin wanted it to be uh, an independent film. Um, there was, like, some earlier conceptions, one where maybe Julia Roberts would play it. I could definitely see the Julia Roberts version of this. Um, in fact, I, would, I think I might have enjoyed that in certain ways. Um, but I, I like... How the, recently? Um like years and years because this has been in conception since the early 80s and yeah, not long yeah, after yeah, thing yeah, yeah. so um the book was published but like um i really wanted it to stay grungy and dark and yeah. i wanted i wanted her to be someone like i wanted her the portrayal of robin to be someone i wouldn't want to be friends with because so often throughout the book i was like wow she's quite quite harsh to people like yeah. she's quite mean i, I quite like that and I, yeah yeah i did as yeah. well you know she didn't seem to be able to keep up with the pretenses of being nice to people because it's a kind, polite thing to do. Yeah. Well, um, not even that. It's, it's. I wrote. I wrote specifically. Yeah. I hope they don't make Robin easier to swallow. Yeah. I mean, we get um, less glimpses of that in the film because I think you just have more time constraints, whereas you get to hear more nuanced stories in the novel, and so it gives you more context for her demeanor. Um, yeah, but like not, personality is always exaggerated in film because not you have, once in the film does she ever like properly lose her cool, and she's like yeah. swearing, cussing, te- like telling people she wants to kill them, like with Kurt, um, one of the trainers, and even with with Rick, she gets really pissed at them, yeah. and she doesn't. She gets like cold and neutral, but like I wouldn't say she ever like gets aggressive. Yeah, I don't even think, like, some of the stories, we we watched a lot of interviews with Rick Smolin because he seems much more keen to be in the public eye. And yes. so there's just a lot more out there of him, uh, which makes sense in his profession. Like, he chose journalism, so that, that does make sense. Um, Do we know um, which production company did tracks? I'm trying to look that up. Oh, uh, Rick, like, some of the things that Rick quotes Robin to have having said to him are just so much harsher than anything we see in the film. But I really liked what you were saying about how she always sort of expected, like when she was saying, you can't be too precious with making, when you've sold your book to be made into a film with what's going to come out, because it's not going to be your story, it's going to be their story of your story um, at, at best. And I like that Robin is always quite aware of how outside influences affect the perception of her story and what people take away from it isn't necessarily what she took away from it or what yeah. she intended for people to take away from it, which was nothing. Um, and yeah. I, I quite enjoy that. And that kind of seems, so it seems right to me that the film is, I think, the film is what the world saw 
Yes. Or what the world wanted to see. And it is probably a little bit, like, it's probably better and, and truer um, to what happened than a film made in the 80s would have been or sure. a film made in the 90s or even a film made in the early, uh, or in the mid-2010s or 2000-naughties because it was made in the 2010s. I don't know, 20-naughties, naughties. The, the 2000s. The early 2000s. Um, like, you know, there's quite a large gap of time. Yeah. You know, Didn't you three s- decades. Um. You told me before we started recording about a possible interpretation. That- yeah, that made um, – God, Americans. Uh, it made her an American living in America as a secretary, and then she's in Central Park, and she gets a letter from her dad saying, you know, you need to walk across the desert. And um, and her mom is like, you have to do this. You have to do it. And then she gets hit by a bus. And Robin said they used to imagine, like, tire tracks on her mom's body and then – Tracks coming up as the title on the title <laughs> screen for the yeah, show, the because, movie. And I was like, oh, like, leave it. Like, that film just screams 80s. Like, take the initiative away from Robin. Like, she did this on her own. Take away like oh, take yeah. away the fact that everyone told her she was crazy. She was the only one who was like, yeah, this is a good thing for me to do. And everybody was like, ah, so you're going to die. And maybe you shouldn't walk through the desert by yourself with four camels. Yes. Seesaw Films is the production company, which is smaller. I dig it. So that was, sorry, I just needed to find that out. Yeah, no. So find I really, out. yeah, I like what you said. I like, I think it, it checks out that the film doesn't feel to me like it, it, it represents the book super well, in spite of um, some of the intense work they went through like recreating exactly in fine detail the clothing that she wore on the trip for yeah yeah no there's definitely a a really good attention to detail i think what you said through the visualization of the poster was really true like the film is the romanticized journey um of it it is i think it is romanticized a lot it's it's i feel like it has to be because oh yeah. Um, there's a quote in the book where she talks about how much it has changed her, the journey, and how she doesn't want to lose that. But then she remembers that in this context, in the desert by herself, oh, it's because what you were talking about, like she wanted to see who she was without the societal pressures and without everyone telling her what she was. She wanted to see who she was. And, um, to an outsider, it looks like she does go crazy at some points throughout the trek, um, depending on what your definition of insanity is. And but she almost she always has an ability to look at it from the outside scope, and she's like, "Well, I can't really take this new perspective with me out into the real world because I like." She talks about how she couldn't be this naked woman with menstrual blood running down the inside of her leg, walking down the avenues of New York because <laughs> you just wouldn't get away with it. Whereas, like in the middle of the desert, with just Diggity and her camels walking naked, being baked in the sun, like why would it be odd at all? And it's not because in that context, it makes perfect sense. And so. While she is really changed by the experience, she also has a kind of um, introspective nature about it where she's like, I know that I can't take this demeanor out into the world with the rest of society because it's like you may be changed by something, which is the classic tale of the hero's journey. Like you are changed by something. And if you go back into the same context in which you left, you either get um, just reverted back to how you were before, um, you become like 
more powerful and you have to change those around you um, or you just get rejected and they tell you that you're crazy and so you have to leave um, and that's you know the three possibilities and now because of Robin Davidson's journey and what she's done she is seen as a feminist icon which she thinks is funny a funny outcome because she didn't go into the trek with that intention like she just wanted she just wanted to do it yeah the un the unwilling hero they're always yeah more interesting I think um what you were saying is really good it's also really funny image to imagine somebody walking down like um Times Square with (laughs) naked covered in dirt matted hair and menstrual blood rolling down their leg what a what an image. <laughs> it was also interesting. We talked about this um, during the film. Um, one of the reasons I love us watching the films at home rather than going to a cinema is because we can pause them and talk about them as we go, um, which I find really helpful. We watched this um, film with a friend and she actually cried um, when Robin has to shoot Diggity from the poison. And that was really emotional. And I, it pre- is really emotional. I appreciated how um, our friend gets got so impacted by that. And I really liked it. But um, that wasn't what I started to say, and now I've forgotten my point, um, which was something to do with... Oh, yes, the film was really telling the story as though her trick was processing um, the trauma from her childhood of her mother committing suicide, which um, Robin's mother did do when she was very young. But if you read tracks, it is not... it's not about that it's not implied at all that she's doing this to process that trauma she just like and i'm sure maybe in some ways she's been influenced by that of course how could you not be impacted by it but but she writes another book about it a different book about her mother yeah yeah and like tracks tracks was its own thing it seemed to have more to do with you know an, an existential ennui with her life and like a lack of direction and just been like well yeah. i don't know what i want to do and i don't know who i am and i don't like what i'm doing so i'm going to do something different and it's going to be really different yeah and she exactly like she talks about how she's sick of you know people just go to university because it's what you should do and then you do half ass attempt at jobs because that's what you should do, um, which I definitely resonate with like i find and she's like sitting there screaming like who is this person telling me this is what i should do I should, should I do it? I should only do what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, especially now in today's society, like we have just so much content thrown at us constantly through all the different social medias that we have and the marketing that we experience when we go outside. Like I find I just want to stay home more and more these days because it's both really quiet and also because I'm not being bombarded with constant marketing of things I could purchase and that kind of thing. It's, I don't know, the older I've got, the more introverted I've become. Um, I'll go I through. think it's interesting, something I find really interesting about her trip is that, because um, we've talked about doing the PCT and we covered Cheryl Strait's walk of the PCT, but like the PCT is so much more significantly populated yes. than what she walked. And the land is less um, against you, I suppose. Because it is, like, well, parts of it will have better marked trails, whereas, like, I, apart from the Gun Barrel ho- Highway, I don't think that she really walked on, like, a a trail, per se, the whole time. She was yeah, and I think, are there more um, smaller things in Australia that can kill you, whereas the things that can kill you in America are bigger things? Like, there's uh, bears I mean, in- there were rattlesnakes, but, I mean, oh, yeah. despite their, you know... I guess spiders, but like there are more big animals that could kill you probably in the PCT in terms of like bears and, and wolves. But like, so her, I think her main things were 
similar like um dying from exposure were like both very similar amounts like lack of water yeah like lack of water heat lack of everything um everyone needs to drink water temperature water food those things but also like for um robin it was like camels and then snakes and spiders and then for um cheryl it was like bears and like mountain lions and also snakes the fox was pretty um (laughs) but i i think it's interesting like the idea of going 45 days without seeing another life and being and, and moving like you're traveling and you're also going to go 45 days without seeing another human is quite fascinating and uh quite quite specific to her trip quite unique yeah yeah i am quite drawn to that idea i I do, um... Like, I don't think we could just walk naked through the PCT. No. I also do resonate with Rick a bit because I really enjoy documentation. Um, I'm not sure if it's because I've just been raised in a society that, like, oh, if you haven't taken a photograph of it, it didn't happen. Um, or maybe I do feel that I need to, um, prove something through the photos that I take of... Um, my adventures and my journeys, but like in the sense that you did it, or that um, yeah, in the sense that I did it alive. But I also like to look back. Like I love looking at photos. Like mm. we have um, the fortieth edition of Tracks, um, and in the middle section there are um, photographs of Robin um, in the desert, and I've looked at them probably six or seven times just because I really enjoy just looking at them and mm. like looking at them before I read the book, looking at them after I read the book, looking at them after I've um, watched the film, looking at them after I read articles. Like I think a photograph can change depending on the information that you have about it. Definitely. There's an article that references some of um, Rick Smolin's photography that talks about today, how difficult it is for photographers because all their photos eventually end up on the internet. And then people take them and use them out of context. Yeah. And there was a lot of issues with misinformation due to photographs, specifically with photographs about around the Australian wildfires. Yeah. Um, she writes, and this is one of my favorite quotes, she writes, never let it be said that the camera does not lie. It lies like a pig in mud. It captures the projections of whoever happens to be using it, never the truth. And I really enjoyed that. And she talks at the end about how the photos that Rick took were always his journey and not her journey like she loves the photos now but at the time she was like this isn't and and i think that checks out like she looks beautiful and majestic and and emotional and really tan and dirty in the in the in the photos but for her she was falling apart and ripping herself down to its bare essentials and then building herself back up again so to see herself seeming so strong and intelligent and beautiful and wise and, and intact yeah and intact is probably really uh bizarre yes and i'm sure it would have been very frustrating mm. um i'll just go through ma maddie's facts yeah, maddie's i don't know facts. we should call that the, 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 the segment. Is this is maddie sex maddie <laughs> this is <laughs> This is Maddie's sex. That's a no. that's a different thing. That's a different thing. Uh, this is Maddie's facts. Yes, you've been listening to Maddie's facts. <laughs> um, as I said before, directed by John Curran in 2013, um, Bray did some research and they had tried to make the film um, quite a few times since it was published in 1980. Um, nothing ever came to fruition until this one in 2013. Um, I so, like hearing that things go through production hell. I think it's funny. It's just something interesting. It was, um, I don't know if she'll hate 
that we're talking about this because she's probably the kind of person who doesn't really care about her birthday. But um, Robin Davidson's birthday was on the 6th of September, which um, from this recording is yesterday. So happy birthday, Robin, if you happen to listen to this. Um, we actually came and saw you speak in 2018. Um, I used to work at Kathmandu and you did a, a talk um, about tracks and um, your trek through the Australian desert. And you signed our book. We bought a copy of your book and we met you and you were so so lovely you were so nice and you wrote for maddie and brianna i wish you well in your lives so well um robin uh 29th of august 2018 mm. and i think that's really cool that we met you we've met we've seen some really cool women speak we've seen jane goodall and we've seen deborah margaret Fra- atwood margaret atwood deborah francis white yeah lots of wonderful women to know dawson yeah but this is just me going on a tangent um you are Robin Davidson. I'm talking to her like I'm talking to her now. <laughs> Robin Davidson's character um, was played by, is it Maya or Mia? Maya. Maya. You, you said the last name. Wysakowska. Wysakowska, um, who is in Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, made a few years ago. Um, Rick Smolin was played by Adam Driver, who, of course, is Needs in, no introduction. Yeah. Um, he's great in Marriage Story and, of course, he's in Star Wars. Um, Roly Mentuma plays Mr. Eddie, who is a wonderful person that Robin meets. Um, Probably my favorite part of the film were all the parts that he was in. (laughs) He was great. Um, The film, do you know what it has on Rotten Tomatoes, Brianna? Yeah, 87%. 83%. Very close. 7.2 on IMDb. Um, The budget for the film was $12 million, and cumulatively worldwide it has um, only made $5.8 million. Why do you think that is? Mm, It didn't get a widescreen release. It's true. So I think that will have something to do with it. I think also partially what we talked about in the fact that it's not a linear story it doesn't have rising action uh, premise climax all those things it's 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 really uh, an emotional journey and that's not something that a lot of audiences are keen to sit down for like in terms of most people are consuming i feel like television and films as a way to escape from uh their lives and be entertained for a short period of time until they have to go back to work and um what a world we've designed yeah well, you know, it all checks out, doesn't it? <laughs> um, Robin treks um, 17,000 miles or um, 27,000. 1,700 miles. 1,700. 17,000. 17, That's a bit further. 17,000 Best laid plans. Yeah, well, there's a bit in the book where she takes her alarm clock. um, She's just finished dancing naked in a desert storm, and she just leaves it set, I think, to 4 p.m. to go off. And it reminds me of uh, the saying, like, does a tree make a sound if it falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it? Like, the alarm clock will go off, and there will be no one there to turn it off. But she just left it. Through the journey of the book, she talks about how she has to let go of the structure of society, telling her you have to get up at this time. She's Eventually she gets to a point which I love. She's like, why the fuck do I have an alarm clock? Like, I'm in the desert by myself. I haven't seen another human for a month. Like, I'll get up when I fucking get up. And I love that. 
I just picture a camel walking by and just hearing it and then like stamping on it with its foot and then walking away. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that. That's really good. Although we we of course know that a camel wouldn't do that because the soft pads of their foot are very sensitive. They are very sensitive. Um, Those are all my facts. Um, I... I really enjoyed the book. Did you did you want to give us a brief summary for if someone is listening and they haven't previously oh, read the book or watched the How do you the film? summarize something like this? Um, do your best. Robin arrives in Alice Springs like in 1975, Five, yes. 1974. And she has $6 and as she describes a suitcase full of inappropriate clothing. Um and she, she knows at that point that she wants to... Her plan is to capture a few wild camels and then train them to walk across the desert with her. And there are basically two camel handlers in the town, and she goes to both of them. And the meaner one, uh, Kurt, gives her a job. And um, there's a lot of racism and a lot of sexism that's quite rampant. Like, she's quite frequently greeted with the phrase just like if you're nice to people you'll get raped and isn't that interesting you know they're not saying like we should deal with the rape problem in our town it's just like don't be nice or you'll get raped yeah well it's the woman's fault isn't it um and this was like definitely a different era it's the 1970s and i know that things have gotten better but jesus um have they so, okay, so she, she works with Kurt for, like, nine months, and then he kind of reneges on their deal, and she gets to know her his wife and eventually convinces his wife to leave him, which, you know, upsets her him. And she leaves um, working with Kurt and then goes to work uh, for Sally, who is still quite harsh but kinder and doesn't renege on their deal. Um, and uh, she learns to train the camel she learns different tactics from both something that came across was the sheer amount of violence towards animals that well you gotta break them was present well kurt would just beat them he would whip them mercilessly quite frequently and then there are a lot of like start and stop she gets one camel which she actually has to put down which is a really tragic part of the book in much the same way that when uh cheryl has to put down her horse it's really hard. Um, and then, well, she meets Rick and he... Riggedy Rick! Sorry. Helps her get funding from National Geographic and she goes to meet the people and they give her the funding and she feels immediately like she sold herself out because she knows that it will never be just her story now. It'll never be just her journey. She's yeah. going to have to make concessions. Yeah. And she doesn't let go of that until probably halfway through the trip. If not more. Yeah. It's not further. Like, it's really difficult for her to go on dealing with that. Yeah. And then she does a dry run. She makes some adjustments and she gets going. This this whole part of the book is literally half the book. Yeah. So it, it doesn't it even, takes it it two so years much. Yeah, like, to get to the desert. Half of her story is just getting to the desert and then she gets into the desert. Well, up until, like, a month or more before, she doesn't even think it's really going to happen. Like, it's just something in the future that is a potential. Isn't that always the way, though? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you, it's so hard to believe in something. And I I understand that. Like, if I really thought about how hard life was before you kind of get into it, you're like, oh, this is too hard. If I had considered the difficulties of life that awaited me outside of the womb, I would have never left. <laughs> I mean, like, I've wanted to do stand-up comedy for over a decade, and it's in the last 
three months that I've done it and it's gone well, but I'm still, it still takes a, like, it's a huge shift out of the old mindset and to believe, and it's, it's exactly what Robin wanted to do. She wanted to show that anyone can do anything if they really want to. Yeah. They didn't, she didn't want anyone to perceive her as special or different. Yeah. And then she gets into the desert and Rick starts the journey with her and she hates him and he leaves and she gets to be by herself. And she loves it. And she loves it. She loves She's being, elated. Yeah, she loves being by herself. Um, Rick meets her again at Iris Rock and they go to an Aboriginal settlement and he sneaks out in the middle of the night and photographs a secret ceremony, which is portrayed in the movie. There are a lot of hits that are portrayed in the movie that happened what i felt was different two things was the division of the story less of the story was built around her getting to go on the trip um and i kind of wished at least a third of the film had been there getting her on the trip yeah like really it's only like like the first 20 minutes. minutes yeah yeah um because you miss a lot about her depression and anxiety around people and you miss a lot of her backing herself and learning to back herself to go on the trip because like and this never justifies an abusive relationship but she talks about how she learns to stand up to kurt like at first she really wants his approval and um to be successful and then she's like no this is shit this is terrible he's treating me really horribly and he she gets quite aggressive back toward him in a good way you know, we already talked about how she doesn't scream enough in the f- in the film. The film. Yeah, she seems to be yelling quite a bit in the book. Um, he, doesn't she? She writes a bit in the book. Oh, this is something else. Sorry, that's a comedian. Women have to stop being so cute. That's a different thing. My oh bad. yeah. Um, and uh, then she carries on. At one point, she meets Eddie, who accompanies her through part of the um, first. F- f- Six weeks. Yeah, he says with um, six weeks, and they have a really great time. There's a really good story that's in the book and also in the film. Where and it really happened. It really happens where some white tourists get out and they're quite aggressive. They're like, they you know they touch them and they say stop and pose for a photo. Well, why would Jenny object? Jack. Yeah, yeah. Why would you stand next to the camel and get a photo with the kids? You know, like be be a good be a good fella. And they're like, we're not zoo animals. Yeah, and Eddie just we don't exist for your to be an anecdote in your story about a vacation that you took to Australia. Yeah. That's not why we're here. They do that really well in the and film. Then and Eddie it's really funny. Plays the character of what people think Aborigine are like and chased after them with a stick and asks for money and yeah. gets money. And then as soon as he turns away, he and Robin share this look like, <laughs> And then they just start laughing. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I really, I just thought that was so funny. It was yeah. so good. Yeah. No. It was good. Uh, I thought they captured pretty well, and it is pretty hard to capture what it's like to be with someone who doesn't speak the same language as you and how you develop your own form of communication that's specific to just your relationship Yeah. Um, and how beautiful and just amazing it is. There are some really good quotes about, about Eddie. Um, she says of Eddie, he knew every particle of that country as well as he knew his own body. He was at home in it totally, at one with it, and the feeling began rubbing off onto me. Time melted, became meaningless. I don't think I have ever felt so good in my entire life. He made me notice things I had not noticed before. Noises. Tracks. And I began to see how it all fitted together. The land was not wild, but tame. Bountiful, benign, giving, as long as you knew how to see it. How to be part of it. 
This recognition of the importance and meaning of Aboriginal land strikes many whites who work in that country. I just think it's really incredible. And she talks a lot about how frustrating tourists are and, and photographers and journalists like Rick because they show up and they get their story, they get their perspective, they want to learn about the culture, but it's for them and so they can feel cultured and it's for them so they can take it back to their magazine. And it's not about really immersing yourself in the culture no. and allowing yourself to be affected because those things take time uh, and you cannot, people don't take the time to do that. They don't. I kind of got distracted from my summary. It's a really hard book to summarize. Well, it's like we've discussed, it's not linear. It's but not it, linear. But it's an authentic journey, that's why. It's it's an actual experience. Yeah. She, and she didn't have any intention of writing about it. Like, she was asked to do so because the article in National Geographic did, did so well. Yeah. Um, I thought you really capitalized on the biggest change, which, is, which was that the film seemed to be saying that this was about her mom, which even Rick has said it's, it wasn't about her mom. It was... It, it, it wasn't about anything. She says she went into it not really understanding why she was doing it and only afterward attached meaning. Yeah. Things don't have to have a meaning. Like, I've got um, a tattoo that is on my arm that you can see if I wear short sleeves. And people are always like, oh, what's that? Because it's just some symbols. And I'm like, it's nothing. I just thought it was cool. I saw it online. And a woman had it, photogra- had, it had it. And I was like, I like that. <laughs> and now it's on my body. And I just think humans are so obsessed with labeling things and putting them into boxes and being like, this has to have some sort of serendipitous or higher meaning. It doesn't. Life is meaningless. How would you rate the book as an adaptation of the film? The film as an adaptation of the book? Yep. Yep. That's that's what I said. That's totally what you said. That's what I said. Uh, I would say... I defy you to prove otherwise. Five. I have it on recording that you didn't. Five. No comment? Um... Yeah, I mean, it's weird because, like I said, I quite enjoy the fact that it's not an accurate portrayal. The filmmakers seem to put their own spin on things and try. And, and I mean, Robin is quite gracious about it. She is it very gracious. In, in the sense that she says, you can't be precious, you know. Yeah. She's she learned a lot in her, I think, what, she's in her 60s now? Yeah. That when you're making a film, there are certain concessions you have to make to create a linear story for film audiences. But I would have enjoyed, you know, we've seen some pretty bizarre films. Um, and We've I'm, seen some weird films. Anna Karenina, weird film. Yeah. Um, and I, there was that one about the poet that we saw. Um, poet one. Yeah. It was bizarre. And I would have enjoyed it. I, I would have been willing to go on that ride, but I know it's hard to get felt funding for films like that. Yeah. And it, I mean, it didn't even break even being made the Hollywood version that it was. Yeah. Um, humans... Audiences are a bit of a fickle creature, really. I think, yeah. I and, think and they ma- captured the beauty of the desert quite well. Yeah, the, there were some amazing shots. We thought... We, I'm really we- glad they didn't pander to making... Trying hard to make M- Mia, Maya Wysokowski more beautiful than she already is by, like, adding unnecessary yeah, she gets, makeup and She gets stuff. real dirty. Yeah. And I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And it makes me think that, like, the more authentic... And genuine an experience, the harder it is to capture in words, and then harder again to capture in film. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like, maybe people just aren't doing it right. But the more I enjoy a book, ah, it depends on the book. Like, The Princess Bride. I think maybe if it's a true story, it's harder to capture in film because The Princess Bride in a film and then the novel are both really fun. But Mm. but it's fantasy. It's a made up. 
and it, it, both of them encapsulate the kind of mockery of the genre. Yeah. I would have, I, I wished that they had had like a sort of meta understanding of, you know, like I wish they they commented on how absurd it was to try and give meaning to something that she clearly never wanted to have meaning. Um, or, yeah, she clearly or, didn't want to be photographed. Or how like this, like I wish that had been more of a theme in the film, how like this film and the fact that a film is being made was exactly what she never wanted. Yeah. Uh, but here we are. I think maybe Greta Gerwig could have a go at doing uh, yeah, that. Yeah, you know, she's really, we just reference her a lot, but, but I really But she's good like... at meta. She's good at being like, this is this, and like, this is why I chose to shoot. Like, the intention behind her work is just mm. so good. Yeah, yeah. The, the movie seemed to be about Diggity and about her mother, and I, I think Diggity was a huge part of that journey, but I feel like it was... If Diggity hadn't died, she wouldn't have been um, such an integral part of her change. You know what I mean? Like, it's because she died. So yeah, it wasn't sure, something sure. that was, like, before. It was a because she went on the trip, happened. Diggity died, and because it happened, yeah. it became a part of the significance of the trip. But, yeah. you know, it wasn't like, you know, Cheryl was like, my mom's dead, and I'm falling apart. I'm going to go walk on a mountain. But... Um, Robin was not like that. Robin was like, oh, I just, you know, I don't like my job and I'm negative and I kind of hate myself and, and, and maybe it, I'm bored. It, maybe it did influence her in a different way. Like, because you go through such a real experience in your childhood, it makes you... The you, kind of person who would do something like this? Yeah, and you're not the kind of person who can pretend like going through the motions of life is enough and it makes sense. Life doesn't make sense. Life is a mess and it's a joke and the, it's absurd what people, what we've done to the planet and ourselves, but we yeah. will just pretend like it's fine. Yeah, and, and I wanted to see that in the film. I wanted to see the absurdness that she saw in the world. You do yeah. get a capture of it when she's sitting in the house when her friends show up and she's like, why are you here? Yeah, that's great. That's a really fun <laughs> like, scene. I didn't want this. And then she's just sitting there and she's clearly apart from them. But, like, I think she felt everything about society was absurd. Like, why, why do you have a job that you hate so you can buy things to make yourself feel better about the life that you're leading that you don't want to be leading in the first place? 100%. Like... Just don't do it. Yeah. That's what she sees. She's like, why is everybody around me crazy and I'm the only one who sees it? That's what I felt. Yeah, like. no, absolutely. And to be crazy or insane, all that means is that you're the minority of a group. If the world is insane and you're the only sane one, you look crazy. Yeah. And that's what I feel like often happens in these circumstances. Like, uh, and you know, that's why you have things that you think and you just don't say them out loud because you know that they wouldn't be received well by people. And that's basically how I live my life. Yeah. She seems to be saying, like, you can. I really like that she, she focuses, focuses on, I wasn't extraordinary. There was something I wanted to do and I did it. And if there's something you want to do, you can do it. She's not saying it's going to be easy. No. She's not saying that there's going to be help provided to you. No. She's saying that you can. Yeah. And that it will be hard, but you can. Uh, and I really like that. And she sets it for anything. Like, whether it's starting a new job, moving to a new country, divorcing a partner. You can do it. You can. Do you think maybe um, this is just me throwing it out there? Like, is that representative of her privilege being um, a white woman considering that because we're currently reading the patient stone 
um, which is set in Afghanistan, and some things, especially if you're a woman, you just can't do. Um, I mean, yes. And some of the actions at different points, like in Afghanistan, you would probably, if as a woman, you'd probably be killed for trying it. But I think, you know, she is speaking more to women who are in westernized oh, yeah. cultures. No, I know. Because, like, is. if you look at it, like, one of the, the interesting things is that you look at the Aborigine people, you know, when she meets Eddie, Eddie has two different shoes. One is a woman's shoe, one is, his, is a man's shoe, and they don't match and they don't fit him well. Yeah. And he's fine. The only reason he needs new shoes is because she's asking him to walk 200 miles. Yes. We don't, like, they don't have a lot. They don't have a lot at all. They're living in the desert. They don't have to live in the desert. They're living in the desert because that's where they want to be. They don't have a lot of food. They don't have a lot of money. He doesn't have a job. Mm. But he's he's alive. He's not dead. And I'm not saying that his conditions are ethical or anything like that. Like, I'm not saying that maybe he doesn't need, they don't need money. I'm just saying, like, you, like, people live homelessly all the time and they survive. Mm. Um, And they do die. Like, I'm not trying to be, but, like, we can live on so much less and with so much less. And people are going to see that you're, like, think might, might think that you're crazy. But as you just said, like, if you're happy... It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Like you, yeah. you can, you can just break the rules. Yeah, no, you can, you can. I, to an extent. To an extent, I. There's, there is an element of privilege in it, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, it isn't. It doesn't work if you're heavily oppressed. But um, uh, you know, women, women have been defying tradition and like rules in society for years for, for decades well, for, for all time. time well we have to you know um because we every time a woman doesn't get married or doesn't have a baby or doesn't marry like doesn't date a man like that's that's a defiance i genuinely don't know that i can have a baby like the I'd, pregnancy to me seems very unnatural ironically <laughs> like it just it seems like women are are told that they exist to create a, a, a baby, um, ideally a boy, and then once they have that baby, they need to raise it so that it can then sustain itself, and then the woman's job is done, and she is now useless. Mm. Like, that is what I feel like society tells women. And to me, I don't like being un- like I have a bit of a stitch right now just under my rib and it's really irritating and I can't relax like the idea of being pregnant for nine months and carrying a baby seems horrific yeah I I don't think I think that women would were I think that women were designed to have babies a long long time ago and now we are an overpopulated species that doesn't have an adequate a uh, predator to control our population yes. were essentially a weed you know like rabbits become a pest when they don't have adequate predators sorry uh when they don't have adequate adequate predators to control their population we don't have an adequate predator mm. and i'm not saying that that means that you know we should control the population by killing people or, or that covid we? was released, released as a form of population control i'm just saying that that, you know, there's no reason that you should feel social pressure to have a baby just because you have a vagina. Yeah. But also... And a uterus. I know that genetically, I'm all right. 
Does that mean I have an obligation to make another version of myself? No. No? No. I mean, I want a little cute, waddling, tubby little baby. That a tubby like little you. Maddie. A tubby little Maddie with curly hair. I could just roll around and be like, oh my god, it's so cute. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you have to have that. Yeah. No, my parents. I know that there are other people who want you to have it. Well, I know that there are people who would really oh, yes, like you to very, have it. Oh, yes, very, very much so. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked. We are. So, I, I tried Robin to fi- doesn't have a baby. No. I was trying to figure out if she had children just because I was very curious. And it's funny because it's the exact kind of people who should have children. Like, Robin would raise such social justice warriors. Yeah, but she might also not be emotionally... No, I don't. Good at raising I'm, a child. I'm not saying that she should. No, it's a lot of tough and, emotional and work glad, raising you know, babies. She didn't want to, and she hasn't, and that's amazing. And but it's but it's like um, it's also a shame because it is. Why do you think Robin is a strong character, like a strong female character? Because she or does Robin on the main screen, not Robin the person. Right. Okay. Robin on the main screen. I guess she has her goal of walking in the desert, and she comes. Up, up against a lot of obstacles and a lot of people saying no and a lot of people saying, girly, you're going to die out there. <laughs> um, thank you. And she just does it anyway. And I like, like, you know, even if someone hasn't read the book, I think that is still a really good message for people to watch both that a woman did do this and she, she survived and she didn't do it to follow a man or anything. And also for, you know, uh, young children to see, like, oh, she could do it. I could do it. Hmm. And she, yeah, I think that's why, you know. She does it because she wants to and for no other reason. What do you think of the fact that she and Rick sleep together? I think that's fine. I think sometimes I get horny and I want to sleep with people. That doesn't make me any less of a feminist. Agreed. Do you think that there are people who will use that as kin and fodder for their position that men and women can't be friends? I think those people shouldn't really be listened to. <laughs> I mean, we are lesbians. Um, I've been a lesbian forever. Um, and I have many, many more female friends than male friends. What, you're saying you didn't catch lesbianism? Hachu. <coughs> it was sneezed on me. Um, and just because... and, and also, But also, I've had lots of crushes on my friends who are straight. And, like, that comes and goes. Like... Human relationships are much more complicated than we talk about, and we'd like to box them in like, we, like we've like we talked about. Um, but I think everything is on a spectrum. Sometimes you're in love with someone and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you want to sleep with someone, sometimes you don't. I think, yes, some people will use the fact that her and Rick sleep together. Like, you read an article about how it was a, their relationship was an integral part of Robert's journey through the desert. No, it wasn't! It no, 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 not, wasn't. not their relationship, because their relationship was. It's like the neutral term of how someone relates to another person and how that affects them as a, as a person and of themselves. But their romantic relationship wasn't an integral part no, of it. No, Robin literally writes about she it. She writes She's about it. It happens, like... One time. Just, like, two things that were introduced into our relationship that night. Tolerance and sex. Yes. And that's it. It never that's, comes up again. That's it. And it's just like, oh, this is just another element to their dynamic. And, I'm, and yeah, like, sex... 
it's built up to this grandiose thing in our society. And it's it's fine. Like, sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's anticlimactic. And sometimes it's all those things. And it's... It's never anticlimactic with you, baby. Well, lesbians have the highest percentage of orgasm rates, just saying. Um, okay, well... <laughs> what... How do you... So, some of the the complaints um that i read about the film as a film were just that it lacked direction and you know like i was gonna ask you like did you feel like it lacked direction or lacked a plot or lacked um, a cohesive story i don't think so at all i think that if that person thought that then they really haven't read the book because that just the film i know but i'm saying that if they thought that they wouldn't like the book Um, but no, the film, for me, it was, it, it was almost too linear. Like, she goes to Alice Springs, she has a couple of jobs, she gets the camels, she figures out how to saddle the camels and what equipment she needs, she goes on the journey, and the journey takes up a really good amount of time of the film. Like, she's in the desert a lot, and I understand that with films, you have a certain amount of time that you can spend on things, especially if you're trying to illustrate um, or represent the fact that someone is alone in the desert for a really long time and it's changing them and they're getting really tired. Um, yeah. But then, you know, she meets people along the way and then she gets to the ocean. I'm in the ocean! And then that's the film. I feel like it had a, a really linear story. Yeah, I was never bored or disengaged for the entire film. No. Um, so I was quite surprised that people felt that way. But then this is the generation raised on Marvel, so... Yes, we're used to films that are very pretty, very action-packed, very shiny, and very, I wouldn't say refined sounds wrong, but almost, yes? Yeah, somebody described it as a wonderful story in a terrible film. I was like, damn. Harsh. Damn. Um, How would you rate the film as a film? Six. Do you think that you would rate it higher if you would watch the film a few years ago? And then probably not known about the book. I think this podcast has really changed my perspective on films. I've always wanted to read more as I've discussed. And I think literature is trying its best to save the souls of humanity. Hmm. Like, oh, it makes me so happy. <laughs> there is a way that you connect with someone when you're reading their story that is really hard to capture in film. And if you do capture it in film, some people don't like it because they find it way too visceral and way too intense. But watching films like this now, I can't help but see it through a lens of um, critically analyzing it, but also comparing it to all the literature that I've read and how it's um, how much of a deeper impact that the literature has had on me than the film. So yeah, I'm sure if I'd watched the film when it came out in 2013, which was seven years ago, I would have been like, wow, this is amazing. She's so inspirational. But now I'm like, the film kind of misses a lot of the points that make the book so strong. Or does it? What do you think? What um, would you rate it? Ooh, I liked it. I'd give it a six and a half. Sure. Us liking it is only six and a half. Is that what you th- is that what you mean? Well, I mean, it's like if it was on again, I would watch it. Sure, I probably won't seek it out again. Um, I do really love the portrayals in um, the film, but I I give it credit because it it is a really beautiful film, and I do think that um, while they do make I would say Robin Davidson's character on the whole quite significantly more likable. Mm. She never really gives in during the film, which I quite appreciate. 
um, to, to anyone. Um, she never wants Rick to, um, be on, like, be a constant presence. The one person she does want along the trip is an Aborigine man. She never gives in to the reporter. She never, like, is tempted by the fame of it all. And while the movie marketing seemed to suggest there was a romance between, like, like a romance between Rick and Robin, um, uh, the film itself actually does spend very little time on it. In fact, it seems to show more of how Rick was affected by the romance and how she was affected by the romance. And what it seems to convey is that the way that she was affected by the romance is the fact that that Rick found it a romance and she found it one night stand and that, that complicated things to an extent. Like in, in terms of like he would like try and kiss her goodbye and she'd be like, what are you doing? This is... Yeah. This is not what you think it is, mate. And I I think it checks out that he fell in love with her. I think that's so typical. This woman is so independent and she's so wise. I'm going to I'm going to saddle her. Yeah. I'm really glad that it never seems like she's falling in love with him or that the sex made her like it didn't seem to make her warm up to him anymore. No. And I and I enjoy that. I enjoy that she just say like call him a parasite at one point, which I enjoy. Mm. Um, so I do, I do really like it, and I think it's it's a worthy film for other people to watch. I I enjoyed the book more, and I enjoy what she has to say, Robin Davidson, the person about her journey more than what anyone else has to say about it, including Rick Smolin. Yes, and he has a lot to say about it. I'll read another bit that you've underlined, shall I? Yeah, it's a book with a lot of underlinable quotes. Yeah, well, she's very quotable because she's so authentic. She is. Um, this is. She's a philosopher. This is the end um, of Tracks as it was written in 1980. The two important things that I did learn were that you are as powerful and strong as you allow yourself to be, and that the most difficult part of any endeavor is taking the first step, making the first decision. And I know even then that I would forget them time and time again and would have to go back and repeat those words that had become meaningless and try to remember i knew even then that instead of remembering the truth of it i would lapse into a useless nostalgia camel trips as i suspected all along and and as i was about to have confirmed do not begin or end they merely change form Hmm. it's a lovely quote it is a lovely quote it comes up a lot they do not yeah. begin or end in this. But that's so true. Like for me. It's like something you would see on a on, a, on an over-the-shoulder bag, like on a shopping bag or whatever. Trips. <laughs> yes. I find it really hard to, I need to, I've got a couple of phrases that I always say to myself before I do stand up, which is like, um, look up, speak slowly and clearly, be confident. Like I have to remind myself to be confident as part of the persona on stage. But I also have to keep reminding myself that this is life. Like at too many stages are you told like, oh, in primary school, you'll need this in intermediate and intermediate. You'll need this in high school In high school. You need this in university In university. You'll need this in real life. I'm still waiting for real life to begin. Like humans are so focused on the next goal and the next trip and the next thing. And it's like, what about right now? And I think that's something that, um, really resonated with me around lockdown was that time basically lost its meaning because we didn't have to be somewhere. There was literally nowhere to go. And you had to really think about 
what you wanted to do with your time. And I think it was really interesting that some marriages um, or relationships were solidified through lockdown and some were ended because people realized that they actually didn't like their partners or the people that they um, supposedly loved most in the world. Like Brie and I had um, some really intense conversations that were really good for us, but we also had just some wonderful days of reading in the sun and going for runs and like spending four hours cooking because we could and it was great and I I really wish like it's been talked about that um, millennials see a lot of missed opportunities in our response to COVID and I absolutely agree with that because it you know we've learned that oh working from home is a viable thing and it's probably where we're going in the future but some businesses are still so resistant to that and there is so much that can be achieved in a unified community, in a unified world, but we're just not ready to accept that yet. Like we're still trying to compete with each other. When we let go of competition, there's so much more that can be done. Mm. And that's what I wanted to say. Yeah. Well, I think Robin would be glad to hear you say it. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, shall we do remake, uh, revamp, retire? Yes. I've revamp, my- remake, retire? Yes. Um, so revamp is... Try it again, get it closer to the book, new script, new actors, new production company, new directors. Remake is just, you know, updated cinematography, updated CGI, updated effects. There aren't a lot of effects, I don't think, in this this particular film, but it's just, there are some it's just a straight-up remake. It's, Cinderella, it's, it's Disney's uh, animated Cinderella to Disney's live-action Cinderella. It's just, it's just a remake. And then um, Retire is exactly what it sounds like. Don't make it again. I'm torn. I know what I want to say. All right. But I'm ready. Uh, I'm willing to give you a moment to deliberate. I can't decide because I have different motivations. I'll say what I'm thinking. I'll say what I think you were going to say. Okay. One, One two, two, three. three. Retire. Retire. Okay. 100%. Yeah. Why do you, well, what is your, um, mine is very clear. Like it's a, it's a beautiful story, but it was never really meant for the screen. I think we yeah. should just let it lay it to rest. Yeah. That's, that is, that's also why I think retire, but I also think revamp because I want a director to try to actually capture what she's saying in the book. And I, I want someone to try and put that on screen and I want people to watch it and just be super confused by it because it's not like anything that they're used to seeing. But can't they get that from just reading the book? And aren't the people who are likely to get that from the film the just people, who, the, the the people who would pick oh, up the book? valid. Valid. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, I think absurdism is a wonderful form of theater um, and, and, and shows and movies. and um, But I think... Uh, I think that there are other stories that we can tell they can glimpse into that without having to kind of force tracks to be what Robin never intended it to be. Like, I think we can we can tell that story with a different story uh, without needing to bring this to screen. And I think that if it is ever remade, I, I hope it's after she passes. Like, I, I'm willing to let this be Robin's story. I know that Robin didn't intend to write a novel about it, um, but I'm glad she did just to, I guess, unite the people who resonate with her perspective and the experience that she had on the journey. Mm. Um, I'm definitely one of those people, and I'm I'm trying to find myself. Like, she was 28 when she walked through the desert. I'm 27, so I feel like I'm kind of going through that same existential crisis. Do you think that Robin has a Twitter account? I've stalked Robin. Um, she has Facebook. She has, I don't know if she does have Instagram. 
It doesn't matter. Shall we wrap up? Yeah, I just wanted to know if you thought she had a... Um, I don't see a Robin Davidson, so I'm going to go with no. She doesn't have a Twitter account. That checks out to me. It's yeah. not her kind of... No, media. not her cup of tea. Not her cup of tea. Um, thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Tracks, written by and about Robin Davidson's um, trek through the Australian outback desert. Um, we didn't talk a lot about the Aborigine people or how they are treated or how they've been impacted by the invasion of white men. They are a beautifully ancient people that literally have evolved in Australia um, and they've been given a lot of disease by white men, including um, health problems because of all of our processed food um, and they've had no chance to evolve and adapt to the highly processed things like white flour and white sugar and stuff. I think Robin writes about how there's a plant that um, they used to eat freely when they uh, would roam through their different territories and it had like 25% times, sorry, 25 times the amount of vitamin C that an orange has. And so they've gone from eating these incredibly super nutritious foods to our processed foods. And so they're um, dying incredibly quickly from things like diabetes and preventable health disease, as well as being slaughtered by us and the land being destroyed by white man um, over farming it with cattle and that kind of thing. I'm just so against industrial farming. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because it's something that is a huge problem. And um, Yeah, we didn't really delve into the racism very much, but it was rampant. And, I mean, I can't repeat the things that she heard said about Aborigines. Uh, it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. That's a nice depressing note to end on. Um, this has been Chapter One, Take Two, a book to film review podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Chapter One, Take Two, all written out in text. Um, we have a Twitter account, CH1TK2, with the numbers. Um, chapter One, Take Two at Outlook.com. And we also have Instagram. Yeah, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, it's how other people find us so if you enjoyed it please tell your friends tell your family tell if you didn't enjoy it keep your mouth shut just kidding whoa keep your mouth shut son I know, just kidding. uh yeah but thank you so much hope you've enjoyed it. if you have any um thoughts comments feedback we're always happy to engage with our lovely listeners um the podcast is for brie and i because you know we would be having these conversations anyway so we just thought it'd be fun to record them but also we love um that you enjoy it as well so we love that you're getting something out of it and um hope that you're taking care of yourselves the world is a bit on fire 2020 has been a bit of a write-off year let's be honest very curious to see what um, November brings for us, both um, with the general elections happening in New Zealand as well as in America. So, good Lord, I hope it goes well. And I'd like to just sign off by saying, uh, boycott Mulan. That is all. Boycott Mulan. Next week, we will be covering The Patient Stone, mm. written by... The Patient Rahimi. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Cool. That will be next week's one. Amazing. Take care. We'll see you later. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yes.